Here is a pretty familiar story that occurs. An entrepreneur works for decades to build a successful business and reaches a point of successfully exiting, right? They spend five years, 10 years, maybe 20 years building the business and they finally get it to sale and they sell it through a lucrative sale transaction, right? They're happy. They've sold it to a private equity firm or a search fund or anything. And now at the closing of the sale, the buyer pays the seller a large sum for the business, okay? And a small piece or a, sometimes a decent piece is kept aside in escrow. And then unfortunately, a bombshell arrives 90 days later in the form of a demand to repay a large portion of the purchase price back to the buyer due to a working capital adjustment. And so what happened? The answer is that the seller was a victim of the working capital adjustment trap. And this is something that I want to talk about because as an M&A CPA, it's very important and it comes up. And I think a lot of sellers don't really understand this. And even buyers don't really understand the networking capital peg, why that's so important to the deal overall and what really happens in that process. So I've taken some of this from the CPA journal that did a great article on it that I'll reference and kind of pooling together my own experience. But I want to talk about in this episode how easy it is for an unsuspecting seller to fall into the trap and how as either a buyer you can take advantage of that or you can set up the deal in a way where you can both sides can really win because you really have to understand some background as to what working capital is and why it gets into the deal structure to understand what happened here. All right, so first let's just talk about, let's take a step by, back, let's talk about what working capital is, all right? Formally, the definition for it is it's current assets minus current liabilities, all right? So in reality, working capital basically is the day-to-day -day money that you need in your bank to run the company, to fund the short-term, you know, operations of the business. So if it's an ice cream store, right, you need to have money for payroll, for ice cream, for kind of the, the rent payment, uh, the utilities bill, right? So that's all working capital. And so, again, looking at the formula, current assets minus current liabilities. So you have your current assets, you have your cash, your cash equivalents, your accounts receivable, your inventory, right? And then you subtract out your current liabilities. So that's accounts payable, other short-term debt, any accrued expenses, things like that. And typically, if you had any experience buying or selling companies, or if not, then what's important to know is that when you're selling a business or buying a business, the transactions are most typically done on a cash-free, debt-free basis. That means that the seller is going to withdraw and keep all of the cash in the business immediately prior to closing. Right? So the, the, the situation here, though, is that you as the buyer, you need to make sure that when you're buying this company and on day one, you still have a little bit of money and that's through working capital to make sure that you're able to fund the business, right? If payroll's coming up, um, all of that, right? So the buyer wants to prevent the seller from accumulating a ton of vendor payables up to the closing date uh, in order to, you know, the seller might do that because they want to maximize the balance of cash that they're able to withdraw. But that doesn't mean that they should be able to, you know, <clears throat> be late on their rent, be late on these payments and have this whole mess for you to take on. Right. That's why a smart buyer, any search fund investor, anybody buying or selling a company, you should have a working capital target. 
So that way that the seller ensures that at the closing of the transaction, the working capital of the acquired business is going to be set within a defined or usually a fixed dollar amount or target amount, right? And so the working capital target is usually taken um, at the end of the most risk, uh, fis recent fiscal period. Um, or alternatively, what we propose, what we recommend is it's usually an hour, an average of the monthly working capital balances over the most over the past year or so. And you run this analysis and you take a look to see, you know, where do you range in working capital? Because from the buyer, they want the highest working capital, right? They want the highest amount of, you know, think about the formula, current assets minus current liabilities. They want the highest form of that to be able to take over the business so that way they're able to run it sufficiently and not need to then you know put in more money or put in their own money into the business as the seller you want the lowest working capital target because you just want to make sure that you know what happens in these transactions is that usually as the seller you don't necessarily get a hundred percent of the purchase price up front right you get as much as possible, and then usually a percentage, anywhere 10%, sometimes we've seen 20%, 30%, is kept aside in escrow in order to solve certain issues or, most importantly, this networking capital adjustment. And so the way it works is that you guys would agree, the buyer and seller would agree on a certain amount, right, that, hey, let's say half a million dollars of networking capital needs to be kept in the business, all right? And again, this ends up being something that has to be taken from the financials. So that's why you usually hire a CPA firm or like Marion Schoenfeld or, you know, have a solid deal CPA, M&A CPA like myself have and perform the Q of E, which is the quality of earnings, because you want to make sure that the accounting process and methodology used by the seller of the company that you're about to buy goes in line with what you're going to see from the financials going forward. Because a lot of times this is where the games are played in working capital balance. So essentially what ends up happening is that they set a working capital peg or you set the specific amount. And then typically, you know, 90 days at most, 120 days after the close of the transaction, once, you know, we've been able to look at the financials and the receivables have been handled, the payables have been handled from that date and time where you close the business we're able to look back at that period and analyze whether or not the closing working capital balance was on point with the estimate or with what the working capital target was. So when you look back at the, that analysis and that kind of uh, date of closing, whenever you decide, usually this is written in the purchase agreement of when you're going to look back and do the net working capital adjustment, you have to see, okay, is the closing working capital balance, is that greater than the working capital target, right? Then the buyer would actually owe more money to the seller because essentially what that means is that the seller left more working capital for you as a buyer. So you agreed on half a million. Maybe they left because of the financials or whatever, right? It's an estimate you did when you came up with the net working capital target because, again, you're basing it off of historical numbers. You're basing it off of typically an average of the monthly working capital balance over the last year. Or if there's a lot of seasonality in the business, you might kind of adjust that to the most recent three months or six months. Uh, that's typically what we see as long as there's no crazy outliers uh, in the business's cash flow and working capital that really you know gets excluded from the average because it was an outlier. So if closing working capital balance is greater then the working capital target, then the buyer has to actually give money back to the seller. And that's a favorable position because you as the buyer, you actually got more than you even asked for. 
in the business and they left additional AR, they left additional assets for you. So it's fine for them to get a piece of it. On the other hand, if the closing working capital balance is less than the working capital target, then the seller actually owes money back to the buyer. And that's something that's actually very important and usually ends up leading to sometimes conflict or disputes. Um, and we'll run through a couple of examples as to why accounting is so important in these calculations and how this can actually be skewed, right? And again, I want to take this example. I want to reference the CPA journal because it was definitely a great content piece that is definitely on point as to how this happens, right? So let's assume that the parties to a transaction agreed to a working capital target of $5 million, right? Based on the acquired company's balance of working capital as its most recent fiscal quarter end, right? So you decide, okay, $5 million is going to be the amount that we saw that um, is going to be a reasonable working capital target. Right. So after the transaction closes, the seller prepares and is supposed to give you a closing balance sheet. And what that means is that they uh, they run the numbers and they look at what is the current assets minus the current liabilities. Right. And let's say they do that and they see that they actually gave a closing working capital balance of four point nine five million. So because what usually happens is that sometimes depending on the purchase agreement, right, you're either going to say, hey, the purchase price is going to be adjusted for a dollar for dollar adjustment. When you see that, that means that in this scenario, because of the $50,000 shortfall, right, then the seller has to actually give that back to the buyer, that 50000 differential, because they agreed that they were going to deliver $5 million of working capital and leave that in the business as of the day of close, and it ended up being short, right? But a lot of the times there's also purchase agreement provisions where you have a defined range, right? Maybe 5% or so. So that way you don't have to worry about kind of money being adjusted after the fact. However, this can also be changed. So now let's take a look at what happens if that the purchase agreement, right? What happens is that the purchase agreement for the transaction will typically provide the buyer and its accountants to review the seller's closing date balance sheet. All right, so at this point, the buyer's accountants complete their review, and what happens, right, in this circumstance, and this is why gap is important or the way you're looking at financials is super important and why you need to hire an accountant is because if you see that when the buyer's accountants complete the review and they correctly note that certain gap protocols are not reflected in the closing balance sheet, right? So, for example, let's say that the accounts receivable wasn't adjusted for a proper allowance for doubtful accounts, and then let's also say that the inventory is not recorded uh, per gap at the lower of cost or market, right? It's not taking into account obsolete inventory. These reductions in the value of the accounts receivable and inventory result in the buyer arriving at a working capital balance of $3.9 million, right? We were talking about $5 million before, and we were talking about, hey, the seller ran some numbers and they were at four point nine five, so there's only a 50000 adjustment. But... Because if you didn't take into calculation the right gap adjustments when you were doing your analysis and coming up with the purchase agreement, then the gap adjustments, let's say they reduce, you know, the allowance for doubtful accounts that reduces uh, AR by 200000 And let's say you didn't do an inventory write down. So now your LCM, you're in a lower of cost or market reserve for inventory goes down uh, 850000 So that's one point. 
one million dollars of difference because the seller did not have a proper accounting done and did not have gap financials and so they did not understand their true working capital and now the working capital is actually the target the working capital adjustment is actually 1.1 million dollars and so you know in response to the buyer's demand for 1.1 million the seller will claim that this working capital adjustment obviously is unfair but if the target you know the really the, the, this is where the trap comes in because this is where the language of the contract is so important because you need to understand all right are we doing an apples to apples comparison are we calculating the working capital without regard for allowance for doubtful accounts or are we following gap and if we're following gap then the buyer's accountants are correct and the seller in that scenario would actually have to pay back 1.1 million and guys i have seen this happen this occurs on a daily basis in businesses being bought and sold. And so this is why it is super important in the language you need the right lawyers and you need the right accountants. You read the right you need the right deal team because the above scenario that I just mentioned plays out too often in business acquisition transactions and can be financially devastating to a seller who has to make this unplanned payment. And as a buyer, you need to kind of factor this in too. You need to make sure that you're doing the right analysis on the company's financials because also here's the thing let me tell you, as a buyer, you're probably going to want the seller around. <laughs> you want them in your pocket. You want them to help you out. You just bought this advanced, complicated business, and you don't want to scare them. You don't, you know, you built this relationship with them. You're continuing their legacy. You bought the business from them. They're, honestly, a lot of times, you probably have a situation where you're still relying on the past owner. They're probably still involved in the business. You're probably giving them some sort of employment agreement or some sort of transition agreement. And so you really do not want to create a, situ a situation where there's such ill will between the buyer and seller. Um, because in this scenario, for example, now the seller, you know, they might have already spent the money. They might have already invested it. They might have, you know, sellers <clears throat> do this only because it's life changing money and they're going to now have a different life going forward and they probably did not have to factor in and did definitely not factor in that you know maybe they put aside 50,000 for this type of adjustment but when you're talking about a million dollar adjustment and guys this happens all the time um, it can create a lot of problems right if it's also it can create tax problems too because if it's something that lingers and goes from one tax calendar year to the next tax calendar year before the seller has filed their tax returns that can change they have to amend their tax returns and then again as i mentioned you now have this really i've seen disputes and blow-ups happen between the buyer and seller where they're working together right there this this usually gets uncovered about 90 days after the fact because you know at close you have some sort of estimate. You, you, you made your working capital target based off of historicals, right? And especially when you close in the middle of a month, which again occurs all the time, you don't really know what is a true working capital at the time. So the seller and buyer have no idea what's actually going on. They sometimes run estimates, but you know, you need to have the accountants come in and do a real close and you need to make sure that your CFO a lot of times, you know, M&A is a very specialized process. You can have a super intelligent CFO or CPA working with you who just has, and I've seen this too all the time, almost on a weekly basis, and they just have never dealt with the business acquisition or transaction before, so they might not have even put together the right working capital calculation before or the right working capital target. And a lot of times, unfortunately, if it's like this large of an amount, 
right? The parties may find themselves in arbitration or litigation to settle the differences. And the thing that sucks is that all this while, the funds that were put aside, the escrow funds and part of the deal are all tied up. And, you know, the seller is going to be feel let down by his accountant and his finance team because, you know, they didn't understand that they were not compliant with GAAP. So really, you want to make sure that you have this in mind. You need to understand that the working capital adjustment doesn't need to be seen as a trap. This, you just need financial advisors or QOV or deal professionals that are proactive and conduct a proper analysis like a QOV or a thorough review of the financial statements of the business to ensure that the financials and especially the working capital accounts, right, especially the prepaid, the accruals, all the current assets and the current liabilities, they need to be fully compliant with GAAP, Right. You also need a good attorney because the sellers and buyers attorneys should mitigate this trap when they're negotiating the purchase agreement, right? So, for example, the definition of target working capital should not just be a numerical target amount and permissible deviation range. Instead, the definition should reference and schedule to the purchase agreement that the financial statements were used to determine this target working capital and that the buyer and seller agree that these financials are right. They also should... Um, Talk about whether there's uh, what happens in the event that you're looking at different methodologies, right? A lot of times, if you're buying a small, a lower, or a mid-sized business, they might not have full gap, or they might be using modified gap, and they d might not have their financials fully ducks in a row. And you, as a buyer, you come in and you're, you know, that's where you're going to make your money and make your differential. But if you don't have this factored in, it could be an issue. So if you guys ever need any help with this, feel free to reach out. I'm always here to help. This is what we do. You can text me at 516-417-4941 or you can reach us at the email in the description below. Hope to hear from you guys soon and I hope this was helpful. You might have to re-listen to it to understand it, but really this working capital adjustment is so important because the last thing you want is a hostile situation post-acquisition when you know the main thing on your mind is, okay, you just put in a ton of money, took on a ton of debt, brought in investors to buy this company. You don't want to have this issue in your life.